don't know, Adrian, you said you had thoughts earlier. What were your thoughts on this extra magic hours topic? I have a whole lot of thoughts. <laughs> Good. back everybody to another bonus edition of the dcl duo podcast and this week we're actually gonna have some guests with us we're gonna do a little bit of discussion around news and commentary out of disney and as much as sam and i have been riled up and talking about it in our own home a little bit we thought we'd bring some guests on with maybe different or at least uh, other perspectives on the show so let me start by welcoming back adrian to the show adrian was on a very early show with us i think it was the was it the disneyland versus disney world show Adrian? it sure was that's right. So you were like, you were guest, gosh, that was like show number three, I think it was. Three so, or four, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah. So, well, welcome back, Adrian. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. And we also have with us Chris, the one of the co-hosts from the DCL podcast. And Chris, you were on episode two of our show. So you are also an early guest of ours. So welcome back, Chris. Thanks for joining <laughs> us again. Yeah, I guess it's, it's uh, going back to your roots today. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Well, you know what? Your best friends are in the early episodes because they're willing to come on. So we're, we're excited to have you back. Uh, so <laughs> Good to be back. So we're going to talk a little Disney news. We have a bunch of news out of Disney this week. Let me start with Magic Express. So obviously, Disney announced that they will be terminating Magical Express between the Orlando airport and the resorts January 1st of 2022. Lots of consternation out there in the Disney community and the Twittersphere, I think, uh, around this decision. Lots of questions raised about it. For those of you who, for whatever reason, have not experienced this benefit, Magic Express was an included benefit for resort guests that gave you free ground transportation via large motor coach buses between MCO and the resort hotels. Typically also provided you with luggage service if you use the special Disney luggage tags and checked your bags at your airport with those luggage tags, they would get those for you and they would wind up in your resort hotel room so you didn't have to deal with them at the airport. And then they would whisk you away on a motor coach uh, to your hotel. Now, lots of stops in between, which caused some people to complain a little bit, but it was still included. I won't say free. It was included transportation with your resort hotel booking, but that is now going away January 1st, 2022. So Adrian, I'm curious. I know you'd go to Walt Disney World quite a bit with your family. What are your reactions to Magic Express going away? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> As a travel agent, it's a nightmare. I have many, many you know, guests that I book. And one of the biggest perks is to get them to the hotel. And because they decided to do away with this, I think that that's an issue. I really do. Because don't forget, they now also charge to park. So if you're renting a car, they have you that way as well. So now you're left with mirrors, which put out a post that they're still willing to take you to the resorts. How thoughtful. And the for a fee, I'm sure. <laughs> for, a, for a fee. And then there's the Uber drivers who are licking their chops because that's what it will be. Listen, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm DVC, which is a Disney vacation club. So I never really used it. I was fortunate enough when I, when you stay at DVC and you're an owner, you can have a car there without being charged. I think that this is a deterrent. I think that this is not the time to announce it, especially if you're going to do that. Why, why announce it in such a troubled, turbulent time with a company? I think that's doing things that I, 
I don't quite understand at this moment. Yeah, I know it's a year away, but it's a year away. Let's focus a little closer to right now on issues that are happening. Why are you taking this away in 2022? I'm not quite sure. I think it's a mistake, a very grave mistake. The two themes I had are the two reactions I had. So we actually, let me step back and say, we've used Magic Express. We love it. I would say there are a few experiences at Disney that I would actually call magical. Magic Express has certainly had its ups and downs in terms of feedback, but I actually found it to be a fairly magical experience because it got us into the Disney bubble a lot faster. And not to have to hassle with your luggage, also a great thing. I loved that aspect of it. I think the reason they're announcing it now is I suspect it's a, it's a legal issue. I think they've got a contract with Mears that is going to expire and they don't want to have to re-up with Mears. And so they've got obligations to let Mears know in advance that they're going to cancel the contract. And so that's why they're saying it now. But I think the biggest fault out of Disney, out of all of these announcements is you're making a bunch of announcements that you're taking stuff away. And we'll talk about some more things they're taking away without a lot of detail around what you're going to do to replace it. Well, right. And that's so, yeah. the issue. That's really, yeah. that's one of the biggest issues with everything they're announcing. Well, I'm curious, Chris, did you use Magic Express at all? Did you have any thoughts about that announcement? Yeah, we used it. See, I always thought that Magic Express benefited Disney more than it benefited the consumers. Not that it doesn't benefit the consumers, but they want to keep people in their bubble. They don't want people going to SeaWorld or Universal or other attractions at Disney World. And so if people have cars then they're much more likely to leave Disney property. So if you're encouraging people to rent a car now, then you're also encouraging people to visit the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, to ride the new Jurassic World roller coaster that's coming to Universal, to go to SeaWorld, if that's your thing, or other attractions. And so I actually thought from the get-go that this is more about Disney than it is about the consumer. Not that it isn't convenient. I get that there is a level of convenience there, but we used it. And actually, if it weren't for Lyft or Uber, we would have felt trapped at Disney World. And that's not the worst place to be trapped. But <laughs> we did intend to go to Wizarding World while we were in Orlando. And what we ended up having to do was essentially call an Uber, go to, you know, Universal for the day or two that we did. And, and that was our trip. But otherwise, we would have rented a car. And I think we would have probably spent more time off property. So that's the one thing I would flag that like, it is an unusual move, simply for the fact that it, it seems to encourage people to be a bit more independent. And I don't know that Disney wants people to be more independent when when you have this bubble that you're literally calling a whole world. <laughs> so, so you want people to stay in that world. So that's the only bit here where I'm a little bit like, hmm. That's a really good point, though, Chris, from the standpoint of I saw on various social media, people sort of going like, here were the deluxe resort benefits that you used to get at Disney or here are just the resort benefits you used to get at Disney. And it's like X's next to just about ever. No more free magic bands, no more included ground transportation to the airport. Fast passes are up in the air. Dining plans are up in the air, right? What is the value proposition now to spend $800 a night for your family to stay on Disney property or spend, gosh, Adrian, you could probably tell us better than anyone, but half that, a third of that <laughs> stay off property, especially if you're already going to have a car. But that's just exactly the point I was going to say to Chris. He's right. Because one of the things that my clients love most about Magical Express is what you said, the ease of it. You get in the bubble faster. Yeah, it did. It did have its moments where if you had to stop at two other hotels, it prolonged it a little bit. But you were on their property and they had you locked. You weren't going to other places really, unless you Ubered for the day or whatever, but they had you. 
now, like you said, I don't even want to get into the fact that when clients call and they're like, so what do you think? And I sit there and I don't even know what to think anymore because I could get them off property for right now, a quarter of the price. I think to Chris's point, it opened up a whole can of worms that you can now go elsewhere and stay elsewhere. And you're not going to get charged that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what that's what I'm most disappointed about is I think they could have announced a replacement service for a fee that did what Magic Express did and that people would have been willing to pay for. And people would have been griping, this used to be included, but now I have to pay for it. But then there's a way to sort of talk about the impacts of the pandemic on the financials and the need to subsidize the service a little bit from the guest and the declining ridership on the, you know, on the service, whatever it is. It could have downsized the buses, for God's sake. That could have also been... You right. Know, now another, you don't have as many buses, right? Yeah. Yeah. Another option. But but I think, you know, it's just, it seems so short-sighted when you think about the number of parents who travel to Disney who don't want to drag car seats with them mm-hmm. through the airport. The Magic Express was a solution. But like the minivan service going away, this service going away, the only thing I can possibly imagine is their financials are in such dire shape. They're just trying to cut everything they can. But I really do wonder when they look back at the money that's going out the door as people sort of leave the resort area to go to cheaper restaurants or shop at the outlets or whatever it is, like, was that an investment in keeping people locked in as, as people sort of suggested? I have one more question on these lines. It's just, Chris, so maybe, maybe you and I can geek out on for one second, which is what do you think this bodes for Magic Express for the cruise line? I think the major difference there is that is a four-fee service. I also think it's a four-fee service that is not very competitive with the private transfer options. I think a lot of times people will say, well, I mean, if you're going with more than three or four people, it's actually more cost-effective to just grab a private ground transfer than to use the Magic Express. But it's there, it's at the airport. And you know, I'll just say, like, if they're ripping out the rest of the Magic Express service from MCO, those Magic Express buses for the cruise line only go back and forth like, you know, a couple times in the morning, right? They're not running all day. And so it's sort of like, are they gonna keep them or are they gonna get rid of them? Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, so this is the only thing that none of us have touched on yet. There's this train, speed train that that they built, Bright Rail. So this train that they built from Miami to Orlando has contracted essentially a stop at Disney Springs. And just for the record, the stop at Disney Springs is directly following a stop at MCO, which is the airport in Orlando. And that should be, if all goes according to plan, ready by 2022. So the reason I bring this up is that Disney World could say, actually, all this bus stuff is just about ease. And it's much easier to take a train to Disney Springs, where you will have our new entry portal into the world. And there are buses from there that will take you to any resort you want. And it's more economical. It's also better for the environment, blah, 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 right? They could go that whole route. The problem is they didn't do that in the press release. So all of us are just sitting here assuming that's the plan all along, is that they will now be directing people to use this new train, that that the station at MCO is pretty much already built. That's one thing. Now, for the cruise, that will go from MCO all the way to Miami which, as many of our DCL fans know, is probably going to become a new major hub for the cruise line because they're introducing three new ships. They can't fit all these ships at Port Canaveral. And so they're going to need to put these ships in other parts of Florida. And the reason we know they're going to want to put them in Florida is because they have already bought the second private destination with Lighthouse Point. They clearly are doubling down on cruises that are going to go around the Caribbean. Now, for Port Canaveral, I imagine if you are a DCL 
first timer, it's going to feel really intimidating to get from MCO to the coast. You're going to look at a map and you're going to be like, wait, it's like an hour away. I don't want to drive that or do Lyft and Uber even go that far? Is it going to be really expensive? There's all these unknown variables. And so for a lot of people, I think they just scratch all that and they say it's way easier for Disney to just take care of it. So I think Magical Express will stick around for Port Canaveral. You're right. If any family does the number crunching, a private car service is actually cheaper if there's more than two or three of you. But beyond that, I think Magical Express stays because there is no there is no sophisticated train station solution like they have for Miami or like they have for Disney Springs. So that's my best guess. To your point, though, the train is not going to be operating for at least another year. Year or two, yeah. Yeah, year or two from the time that they stop the, the Magical Express to the resort. And Disney hasn't built the infrastructure at Disney Springs to absorb any of this yet. No, right? it's so. almost like they're putting the cart before the horse. I do agree there. But it does seem like that must be what somebody is thinking, right? Like that must be part of the plan here. I just can't imagine why else they would, they would do this. To Chris's point, the minute I heard about the train going, my first thought was, well, there goes the buses. I did think that quickly, but I assumed, silly me... <laughs> That they would have announced. That's why when I said I was surprised they announced it so far ahead of itself that the buses were going away. You know, Sam, I touched on this with you privately. They don't they don't communicate well lately. You know, Disney used to be the hub of communication. And for anything they took away, they made it seem like something so incredibly better is going to be there. And they kind of teased what it would be. Now they're just taking and stripping and not explaining themselves. Or like, you know, like Brian said, and I think Chris said it, that they're doing separate press releases and they're not intertwining things. Which is bad PR, frankly. Horrible. It, it's just it, the way this is going down is insane. And it bothers me because now, okay, so let's just argument sake to the point of the train and it's going to go to the springs. Anybody who has been to the springs can attest that it is a nightmare logistically with cars, with buses, with people. It's it's a heavy load, that place. Well, and there's nothing like dragging suitcases around in That's what I was just going to say. Weather. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Okay, so now you get off a plane, you're excited to go. You have all your luggage <laughs> getting off this train. And to most people, strollers, bags, baby stuff, and you, and you have to go to the springs. Right. What if you're staying at a deluxe resort too? Do you really think the people who are staying at deluxe resorts are going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go take a train to Disney Springs and then switch to a bus to go to like the Grand Floridian, right? <laughs> like, no, and, th- and that that's where the problem, I, I am telling you, it's going to be a massive issue with this. Nobody's going to want to go to the hub of the springs with all this stuff. And then how about the people that are doing the cruise and <laughs> their huge suitcases? The cruise and the park. So they're going to get off at the springs with all their feeling relaxed or whatever. And then they're going to go be dropped somewhere like that. This is not going to fly. It's just not going to work. You know, Adrian, your, um, your experience here is probably on point because I think you could replicate what it's going to be like by trying to take luggage from Midtown Manhattan, four blocks to yes. an Amtrak station to go down escalators to get like, like it. I've done it. It <laughs> is an effing nightmare, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, you're sweating getting on a train because you're trying to lug your luggage around. I want to move into the extra magic hours for just a quick second. It's it's interesting to me. This was an announcement that they made that they so they're eliminating extra magic hours for all guests, but that was primarily a benefit of re- resort 
guests is that you got into one park an hour early, basically every day of your visit, and they would tell you in advance sort of on their schedule which park was the park that had extra magic hours. Um, they're saying that's going away, but they will be opening all the parks a half hour early to resort guests. Now, I heard from Pete Warner's show over at the Diz that, you know, he was pretty upset because he was like, let's be clear, they're already doing this, right? Like they already essentially open the parks a half hour early. So there's nothing new being had here. I will say when I read the announcement, I was sort of like, well, it's interesting from the standpoint of spreading crowds out around the parks, because I think the park that had the extra magic hours would get slammed in the morning that day with everyone going to that park because it was sort of like, well, I should be going to this park because they've got the extra magic hours. It seems like now what you can do is kind of spread the crowds out in the morning. But I don't know, Sam, what did what was your reaction to extra magic hours? And then I definitely want to hear Adrian since she mentioned earlier that she's got thoughts here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say, I don't know, there's good and bad, right? Like I like the idea of more parks being open early because like you said, it will spread out the crowds. But a half hour is really not much time to get on, you know, more than a single ride or even get through Main Street if you're going, if you're coming into the Magic Kingdom. So to me, I kind of feel like, you know, it would have been nice if they were going to switch it to make it, frankly, I would still like the hour and I would like two parks to be open. It doesn't need to be all four of them, but I kind of feel like, you know, more parks open is certainly better, but I'm not sure the half hour is quite enough. Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling part of this is they want to do more of the paid hard ticket opportunities in some of these parks, Mm. right? Early morning magic that we had at Magic Kingdom. Oh, that was amazing. That was literally my favorite, like one hour in Magic Kingdom, probably like ever. I mean, I have a feeling a theme of the day across all of these announcements when they do announce new replacement services is going to be pay to play, right? I, I'm This isn't on the docket. They have not made any announcements about fast passes, but I am 100% expecting that we're going to see a revamp of the fast pass system and it's going to be pay to play like it is at Universal Orlando. It's not going to be included any longer. I just have a feeling they will offer like something from MCO to the parks, but it'll be a paid service. It'll be something higher end because they love to capture the luxury dollar at the resorts. And I have a feeling these, you know, They'll do more hard ticketed morning events. If you really want that extra hour at Magic Kingdom, here you go. But it's going to cost you and your family another, you know, $150, $200. I don't know, Adrian, you said you had thoughts earlier. What were your thoughts on this extra Magic Hours topic? I have a whole lot of thoughts. (laughs) So I agree with Sam a thousand percent. That hour is everything. And I have done the pay in the evening and in the morning. And while I did enjoy it, it cost a lot of money. So you're talking for a family of four, it will cost you an extra $400, basically, if not more, to get in for an extra hour or two, depending on the timing. I think that 30 minutes is nothing. I think once more... They are announcing things that don't need to be announced right. Again, we're in COVID times. It really doesn't matter right now. So why announce it? Why stir the pot? Because you want to make it seem like something better is coming later or just because you are saying, well, we're in trouble. Right. They could have just said, well, I'm pausing extra magic hours for the pandemic, right? Or right now the crowds are low. We're going to pause it for the pandemic. They could have just done that. Well, I think they already, I think they already have. And it wouldn't have been that big of, and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I think that they are just shooting announcements left and right and seeing what, and I hate to say it, but I think they're listening to things like this, like podcasts and seeing what people are saying and like throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks and what people think. 
Let's shift over to our the discussion around the, the sort of last announcement we had this week it came out on Friday that Disney was ending its annual pass holder program for the Disneyland Resort in California. Announcement does not apply to Walt Disney World at this point, although I have some questions there for everybody around the impact of this announcement across the annual pass space. But they are ending the annual pass program for Disneyland Resort effective essentially immediately and refunding all of the annual pass holders who had paid in full for uh, annual passes that expired during the closure period. They did in this announcement mentioned that they would be coming back with some new fabulous quote-unquote membership option. I thought that that word membership was interesting. Before I throw it over to Chris, I'll, I'll say one reaction I had to that announcement and the use of the word membership is a ongoing Disney subscription and whether or not they will start to offer some sort of monthly Disney subscription like we see from kind of other quarters of the world right now. The tech companies are, you know, love to do subscription-based services. If that's the case, if that's what they're looking at, I think it is really exciting and interesting to think about this from the standpoint of a monthly subscription that might bundle things together across the Disney universe. Like you could imagine a top tier subscription plan, including things like access to Disney Plus and, you know, the parks and then kind of scaling back from there and lower tiered plans, maybe, you know, limiting the number of park days that you could get in. So th that is an interesting and, ex you know, potentially exciting and, and opportunity. Based on all the announcements, I'm a little worried that they're not going to get that right. But Chris, you, we were annual pass holders who had our passes canceled. I know you were an annual pass holder. What did you think about this announcement? Uh, it's complicated. <laughs> it is complicated because here's the thing. I've been honestly kind of confused by Disney's response in California. And it's not for the reasons you think. I am actually not one of the folks who thinks Disney sh Disneyland should be open right now. I'm not commenting on Disney World because honestly, at this point, I think Disney World's probably the safest place in Florida. Um, but, <laughs> I think we but, would probably all agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, but Disneyland... It's a different beast, so to speak, because one, for those of you who aren't following the situation here in Southern California, we do not have any more ICU beds. People with severe cases of COVID are dying and do not have anywhere to go. And the crisis here is truly terrifying. I think it's all the more confusing then. <laughs> the president of, of Disneyland is on Facebook or on social media being like, we can safely open and we should be opening when the very next article in, in LA Times is, we're out of ICU bed. And so I bring that up not to be a, a Debbie Downer, so to speak, but to acknowledge that like we cannot understate the impact of the pandemic. And so you won't find from me that I'm someone who's like, Disneyland should open at all costs. And it's ridiculous that Disneyland is still closed. And, you know, of course, various like annual pass holder Facebook group or whatever, and you'll go on there and they'll be like, recall Governor Newsom, and this is ridiculous and things like that. But I'm not of that camp. I'm of the camp of like Disneyland needs to be cautious. It is way too soon to be having this massive infrastructure that causes a ton of people to want to come. Now, whenever Disneyland decided to reopen, here's their problem. What do they do with their million plus annual pass holders? who have all been desperate to get back to Disneyland, some of whom have already paid for their passes in advance, which means they have anywhere from $600 to $2,000 burning a hole in their pocket because they spent that money that's completely unusable now. We're going on a year of not using that annual pass. And I can see a lot of people being really frustrated by that. And I bet you Disney got a lot of calls for refunds. 
And they had no policy for that. There, in fact, it's very clearly written in the annual pass policy that you cannot get it refunded no matter what you decide or no matter what happens to you. And so, you know, they had to make some sort of public decision. Where I think they went wrong <laughs> is, again, they announced this change without acknowledging what would replace it or how it would be adjusted. So then all the headlines just say things like, Disneyland ends their annual pass program after 30 plus years or, you know, something like that. And so I I think it's more of a PR issue than a decision issue. I actually see the logic behind why they did it. It sort of makes sense to me. The spin on this one is really kind of not not pretty. I will say my reaction to it was they should not have announced this as a like a permanent change. Rather, they could have announced this as a temporary change for basically in effect, obviously, for the pandemic. Because the park's been closed for so long, it makes sense to refund people's APs. That's just what makes the most sense. And then when they reopen, they're not going to be able to honor annual passes because of the capacity issues that they're going to have to deal with. And so we're going to refund everybody and we're going to pause annual passes for the time being, but annual passes will be back. We just don't know when. You know, like you said, I I don't believe Disneyland should be open at all. I think it's ridiculous to even discuss that. But to your point is true. There should have been a softer announcement, an easier announcement, or start off slow like Disney World did and offer refunds to those who would want it and then and then worry about it later. I, I don't know. I'm not following the whole situation of why this is being done so harshly, so quickly, announcement after announcement. Like you said, Sam, it's all about the PR of it. They could have sold this in the most positive, loving, nurtured, empathetic way. And they chose to go harsh with every decision that they are doing. I do want to pose the quick question, which is, do we think this bodes anything for Disney World annual passes? Do we think that they will revamp the system across the two parks? Because before they did have a premier pass that spanned both parks, that is now gone. And they've paused Walt, Disney, they've paused Walt Disney World annual pass sales, although there's still some loopholes for renewals and things like that. But I really think this could be a moment in time where they say, we're resetting our entire concept of what an annual pass is, and here's what it's going to look like going forward across the parks. But Am I crazy? No, 100% accurate. I think, like you said, they were looking to try and rework things. And I think that this is their opportunity, as was said, that that's not where their their real bread and butter is. So now's the time to figure it out. I think that this is really going to hurt them in the long run, some of the moves they're making. The two parks are so different that I I struggle to see how they could come up with one product (laughs) that would work for the needs of both parks. I think what might end up happening, you know, Disneyland is extremely profitable and taken in its own light. I think Disney's been reluctant to release numbers on this in the past, but I would imagine that Disneyland makes more money as a theme park than any one of the other four parks. Now, Disney World combined is probably a major cash cow. I get that. And there's there's a ton of capacity in Disney World that would maybe increase that. But like from a square foot <laughs> uh, perspective, the fact of the matter remains that Disneyland can be filled with 60 to 70,000 locals on any given day. <laughs> on, on a busy day, that many people can fill that park. What Bob Chapek has said in the past is essentially true, that annual pass holders don't have the same spending reach as a vacationer, right? 
when you go on a vacation, your mindset is spend, spend, spend. I've been saving for this. I should do this. Whereas an annual pass holder who's like, eh, it's just an average Saturday for me. I understand that there's probably less of a dollar amount opportunity there. However, a lot of that gets made up for through just sheer loyalty <laughs> to the mm-hmm. park, to the brand, mm-hmm. to the experience. And annual pass holders are nothing if not loyal. And so I think there will be annual pass holders looking for the parks to make good on their loyalty and to reward the fact that they are, there are people who have literally been annual pass holders since 1984-85 and have never let their passes lapse until now. But let's not forget, back in the day, you know how much an annual pass costs? $65. In the <laughs> 80s, you could get an annual pass for $65. And you could go every day of the year, no blackouts. So (laughs) there are huge differences today. It's just a way different system. And so I think they needed to revamp it. Unfortunately, as I already said, (laughs) without telling us how you're going to revamp it, you just made a bunch of people pretty upset. I agree. I think that we are so loyal to the brand, but there's only so far you can push a loyal person. And making annual pass holders feel iffy is not a good thing. I wonder if they're going to do... So I know, and and Chris will know this better than I, because I think this might be the kind of pass either you guys had or, or had at one point, which is a, like an annual pass that exists at Disneyland that doesn't exist at Disney World, where it's kind of like a lottery system and you make a reservation. So you get like X number of days a year or something, and there are blackout dates, but you they'll only let like I don't know, 50 people with this kind of pass on a given day in. I wonder if they were, they'll switch the AP model more towards that. Like that's sort of where my mind heads with this. Like, I think they could have one model that they shift to with different programs hung off of it. Like they did. I mean, today it was one annual pass model. The passes costed differently and there were different pass programs offered beneath it, depending on which park you were talking about. But there was a unified kind of, there is such a thing as an annual pass. Mm -hmm. At Disney World, that was a very simple model. At Disneyland, it was growing increasingly complex. But what's interesting to me is this notion of membership again, where... Mm -hmm. Crazy off the wall, like Audible, right? They they have a membership program where you get a certain number of credits on a uh, monthly or yearly basis. What if that was translated into the Disney, uh, the way Disney does things to say like, well, you have a certain number of park day credits and the amount of the credits you get per month, per year, whatever it is, you know, that's dependent upon the value of the pass you're buying. Oh, yeah. They could do it like DVC, like a point well, system. Well, what they say. Yeah. And what they say is, look, you, you, it's still not that you have to go make a reservation. You're still tapping at the turnstile. But if you're out of credits, your ticket's not valid for that day. Right. And so that's interesting. And so now it's like, you know, for for the Disneyland community, instead of limiting this based on kind of prices, you start to play around with the amount of credits in the different tiers. And so now it's, you know, you know, this hundred dollar tier, you get you get five credits a month and you, that's five park day visits. You well, make the decision. I was actually thinking more complicated than that, Brian, not you get five days, but you get X number of points. And, you know, Christmas is like, costs you three points, right? Like, or, and spring break costs each day costs you two points or, you know, so I'm giving a very simple. I hope they don't go that direction because like to go up all the way back to the beginning with the magic express, like planning a Disney vacation is already like (laughs) doing, you know, (laughs) doing calculus. And if they start to do, or that's why you hire a travel agent. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 
today it's like doing algebra. If you start to do that kind of stuff, it's going to turn into calculus. I don't know, Chris, on a membership option basis, would you sign up for something that sort of was, you, you had a pass that was somewhat limited? Yeah, we basically had everything. <laughs> we, we The year that we got married, we decided to splurge for the like premier both coast pass because we knew we were going to do our honeymoon and, and wanted to spend more time in Disney World. So we've had the like highest level, grandest pass that had no blockout date. And in that case, you almost feel like obligated to go on Christmas Day or New Year's Eve or Fourth of July just because you're like, I have the privilege to be able to go, so I should go. We've also done like what I consider to be a more reasonable option in Southern California, which is the Deluxe Pass, which is like many Saturdays, but not every Saturday. There's still blockout dates, but there are a fair number of weekends. We've also had the, pr- the like higher level premium one that allows you to go any day of the year, but just to Disneyland. And just before the pandemic started, as in like, I'm pretty sure we bought it on March 7th, we decided this year, let's do the Flex Pass and see, how, see what that's all about. The Flex Pass is like you make a reservation, and if the date's available, it'll let the system will let you reserve it. You can reserve up to 30 days in advance, and there's no blockout dates in theory, but you know, there are blockout dates because, you know, only X number of flex passes are allowed to book on any given day. So we had that type of pass that we never used because of the pandemic. So I can't really speak to how we liked that um, (laughs) because we didn't get to do it. But my hunch is that one way to drive up spending and to make, uh, you know, annual pass holders feel maybe like their trip to Disneyland is a little more rare or a little more special is to say, you know, you can buy an annual pass that's allowed to go to the park six times a year, 10 times year or you know you get 300 points and if you go on christmas it costs 150 points but if you go on this random tuesday it costs 25 points right and so next thing you know you're basically driving people to the days with low traffic and deterring people from the days that are that are more expensive or or rather higher traffic i could see them instituting something like that which you know you already mentioned but One positive that might come out of that is if days in Disneyland become more rare and they become more tied to a point value or a dollar amount, I do think then you start getting people who treat their visits to Disneyland more like a vacationer and Mm -hmm. less like an annual pass holder. Mm -hmm. And that might be what Disney wants. That might be the secret sauce. It makes sense that Disney's trying to look at a new approach. Unfortunately for everyone, there is so much uncertainty right now. (laughs) They cannot figure out what that approach is yet. And to your point, if you can make it more special, then you also sort of reduce the number of people who are popping over for an afternoon or an hour. If you got to burn a whole day on the park. Right. You're going to spend more money. You'll spoil. You'll spend more money and you won't come for a half day. You're going to come for the full day. So you're actually Mm going to start to plan the visit. That means the capacities probably start to change a little bit. But let's shift over. We have one more topic to cover and it's cruising. So I want to start off with just a really great announcement out of actually Adventures by Disney from this last week that they are going to be pushing now into expedition cruising. And for all of you out there listening, we are going to have a guest on here probably next week who's going to talk to us about expedition cruising and their experience on Ponant which is the expedition cruise line that Disney is going to be using. So I wanted to share that with everybody so you can be sure to listen and hear their experiences as you start to think about maybe planning your fabulous adventures by Disney vacation. But the topic that we have comes in from uh, a listener uh, and it's the perennial topic of the day. And so we treat this a little bit rapid fire, which is it was two questions. One is, when do we think the ships are going to start sailing again? And two, what do we think that they will offer on board? What do we think the things are that they might not have on board that they normally would like spa treatment sets 
sort of stuff. So I'm going to treat this a little bit rapid fire. I will save my comments for the end. Let's just go round table one shot for everybody really fast. Start with Adrian, what's your prognostication on when we might see ships sailing again? And do you have any thoughts on things that may not be offered on board any longer? Okay, I think that what might not be offered up is buffets or they'll be more limited. I think that childcare will be more spread out somehow because that's really, I think, where the bigger issue will lie. I think that pirate night might be a thing of the past because it was too many people on the deck at one time. Or maybe they'll have, like, they will separate it during dining and have two different versions. I think that cruising is going to be iffy. I think it's not going to come back, honestly, until you can get a vaccine. Chris, what are your thoughts? Okay, so I think buffets are like a very clear place to start, definitely. But I would imagine that what you'll see go away is is essentially like non-ticketed events on the ship. I think that they'll have to create a reservation system for almost everything in order to keep capacity low. So theater shows, I think you could even start seeing reservations for things like trivia, honestly, because the last thing you want is everybody showing up in one place at the same time. So that's one thing. The other thing that I think is sort of like a a date that we could sail by, I think it's maybe like six months after vaccines become widely available. Something like that is my hunch. You know, uh, the new administration comes on board next week. They're trying to get 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days of Biden's presidency. Let's see what happens. But if we do get that level, you know, 100 million is still maybe that's like just over a third or I have to do my math, but of the country. <laughs> yeah, that's still not a full <laughs> like, like that's not near the level that Dr. Fauci is saying we need for herd immunity. All that to be to be said, I do think we're probably easily, you know, we're not 100 days away. We're probably more like 200 days away till we get 60 to 70% of the population vaccinated. And in that case, I think that's the soonest we see cruising coming back in earnest. All right, Sam, your, your turn and I will reserve my comments for last. Okay, so I think uh, this is kind of similar to what Adrian and Chris said. Obviously, buffets are going to be not no longer self-service. So there will be buffets, but they won't be you won't be able to serve yourself at a buffet. I think they'll split up the deck shows and the atrium shows. So there will be multiple times of them and you will be based on your dining time. You'll have to go to a particular one or you'll have to make a reservation in a virtual queue, something like that. So I think those are, are a couple of changes we'll probably see on the ships. I am going to, well, I I will say on the Disney Cruise Line website, you can no longer book cruises in April and May. They pulled those within the last day or two. So that gives us some indication we're not sailing in April or May, right? And at least not Disney Cruise Line. They're not sailing yet. With uh, the guidelines from the CDC, they've got to do these simulation cruises before they can actually do regular cruises. It can't do anything more than seven days in 2021. These are just some of the CDC regulations. I'm thinking we might see cruising in 2021, but if we do, it's not going to be until the fall. So I'm going to I'm going to be a betting person and say September. Yeah, so I'm going to approach the what we, the onboard experience looks like a little bit differently than the three of you have. I'm going to sort of draw on the conversations we've had with some folks who've had ships sail out of Asia and what I've heard about MSC cruises. I I think a lot more of the experiences will be available than we think. I agree. Buffets, buffets will be there in a different way. I'm going to put it that way. I think what's going to happen is you're going to go down the line. Someone's going to be serving you rather than them taking it away. Initially, it may be a lot of grab and go, but you know, for them to really fundamentally change 
you know, no buffets at all, leaves a huge space on the ship kind of unoccupied. The listener wrote in actually asked a capacity question. I think that's actually answered by the CDC guidelines. I, th- I can't remember what it is. I don't know, Chris, if you remember offhand, but I, I when they do start sailing, I think it's like they're only 30% like, or less or something yeah. like that to start. Yeah, that's what I was going to. Yeah, I think it was like 30 to 40% of the ship. So that'll be the capacity limitation for sure when they first start back. You know, the list, our listener asks about spa treatments and that sort of stuff. I actually think that in the, we, we had Heidi on who talked about her quantum of the sea sailing. I'm pretty sure she mentioned the spa was still open. So, I mean, th- there are ways to do that because you know, it's not a large gathering. And, you know, we've mm-hmm. even had some cases here in the U.S. where salon, you know, I think there were two hairstylists and I forget which country who or which state. Had it was like COVID. Minnesota, I think. They had COVID, but they still continued to sort of do haircuts with people, but everyone was masked and none of their clients got COVID. Slightly different with the cruise ship personnel because they're all going to presumably have been quarantined for some period before the ships even start sailing. So I, I think a lot more of it will be there. It'll just be more limited. I actually don't place a lot of faith in Disney's IT to do a bunch of new reservation systems and actually <laughs> support that. <laughs> so I think it's really going to just be like the show has a capacity and when it hits capacity, they won't admit anybody else, which could mean I think maybe they run the state shows three times instead of two or something like that mm-hmm. to kind of give one more offering. Maybe they do a matinee of the stage show. I don't know. But yeah, I think based on the capacity limitations and that sort of stuff, like a lot more will be there than we think. Character greetings gone. There's not going to be a character meet and greet. They'll do the drive-bys like they're doing at the parks, that sort of stuff. In terms of date when we might see sailing again, I tend to agree with Sam with the caveat that ships are already cruising in other parts of the world. And sure. the uh, the magic is still sitting over in Europe where they did reopen cruising. And so I'm, you know, I'm just curious to see if, you know, there's any way that Disney starts to bring cruising back over there, although she's sitting in the UK, which is having a horrible go of it right now with COVID and the same sort of struggles we're having with vaccination. Although Europe as a whole is doing a lot better with vaccination than we have been in the US. So it'd be interesting to see. I don't know what bookings look like on those ships when they're in Europe, if they're mm-hmm. primarily... European locals coming on the cruise. I suspect they are as opposed to US-based travelers traveling over to Europe. I suspect a lot of the cruise ship is made up of locals. And if they're going to reduce capacity down anyway, that might solve That's a true. problem for them. I hadn't so, thought about it that way. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe something comes out of there a little bit earlier than the rest of the United States or the rest of, you know, the rest of the Disney Cruise Line fleet. I think in our country, it'll either be key to vaccine availability or it'll be looking at declining numbers across time. Right. I mean, if they're seeing real declines in the COVID cases, even if the vaccines aren't widely available, I could see them sort of starting the process to get cruising back. I also think the reality of the situation is going to be, you know, for a while, it may be the case that to step foot on board a Disney ship, you're going to have to show they've, they've had conversations here in the U.S. about vaccine passports. You're going to have to demonstrate that you've been vaccinated or that you've had a negative COVID test in the last you know, 48 hours or whatever, whatever it is. So anyway, I, that's my prognostication. I agree with Sam. It'll probably be the fall before we see stuff here in the US. I, there's like some glimmer of possibility that something starts up in Europe, maybe a little bit sooner than that. But, you know, Disney obviously seems to be betting on something in Europe because they're leaving the magic over there in Dover, as opposed to, you know, maybe bringing her back this direction to support some capacity in the, Car- the Caribbean at some point. So with that, lots of news covered. We are way over for a bonus episode. So thank you for all those listeners out there who hung in with us <laughs> for what was a long bonus episode of news out of Disney. Let's hope the next few weeks aren't chock so full of news out of Disney, or at least maybe we start to see some positive of news out of Disney. Uh, but I want to thank uh, Adrian and Chris for coming on this evening. Adrian, do you want to let folks know uh, where people can find you if they're interested in using your services as a travel agent? Sure. So it's Let It Go Journeys and it's 516-728-6565. There we go. All right. Hey, Chris, do you want to let folks know where they can find you and the wonderful folks at the DCL podcast? 
Yeah, so uh, that's that's where we are. We're available <laughs> where podcasts exist. So just search for the DCL podcast and you'll find us. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, DCL podcast. So you can find us there. We love to have uh, new listeners. And of course, we love to support the DCL duo. It's a great podcast as well. Can't get enough of it. Thank you both guys for, for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hopefully we get some good news soon. <laughs> Well, like Chris, I really do hope we start to see some better news out of Disney in the coming weeks and that we've got something more fun to talk about from a news standpoint for our next news episode next month. So fingers crossed we start to see some more positive news. I do want to thank Adrian and Chris for coming on this evening. It was really a blast having some folks on to talk through some of these news items because they were pretty controversial in our household. So loved having maybe some differing perspectives there. If you have not checked out the DCL podcast, please do. Chris and the DCL podcast are big supporters of our show. So if you haven't gone over there and checked out their podcast, it is a great podcast. And in many ways, it's an inspiration for our show. Uh, So we love having their support and affiliation. So please head over and check them out. As always, I did want to thank everyone out there for listening this week. If you have show suggestions for these bonus episodes, topics you want us to cover, things you want us to discuss, please let us know. We're always looking for great ideas for these bonus episodes for either Sam and I to talk about or for us to go find a guest to maybe do a quick bonus episode with. So just let us know. So once again, thanks for listening this week, please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Please also leave us those five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are really helpful in surfacing our show to others who might be looking for our content. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content, or you can join our DCL Duo vlog and podcast Facebook group to join in a discussion with other like minded cruisers from our listener community. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL Duo. Good night. Good night.